Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. You know, Nick, uh, and definitely, you know, happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you've picked up this message and you're listening to it by CD years later, uh, because it mentions a mother's role and the significance of a mother's role, uh, you're going to get a lot of scriptures. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, I, I wanted to title this message. I have so many messages that you might just look and say, say Mother's Day. I and mean, a lot of people would not realize a lot of the robust scriptural teaching in those messages about being a mother. So I thought, man, I need to start titling those messages with a more, you know, a clear meaning as to, you know, and I've done that through the years as well. Uh, so they'd get picked up because we do a lot of family emphasis in this fellowship. We have a lot of strong families by the grace of God because we teach from the word of God and what God calls families to be. Uh, but, and I like to use Father's Day, Mother's Day as uh, opportunities to be thankful for our mothers, but also to emphasize the importance of uh, motherhood and the role that mothers have, because Satan hates motherhood. Satan hates women, okay? The scriptures are clear when you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God shows the significance. Uh, there's different significances that women have uh, throughout scripture, and women are elevated in scripture unlike anywhere else in the world at the time. I mean, you're literally, when you have scriptures that talk about husbands, lay your lives down for your wives, as Christ did for the church. Uh, that is an elevation of women that you didn't see in ancient times, and you still don't see today, you know? Nothing can elevate the, the, stat, the status of women in, in the eyes of God like that particular teaching of what Jesus did for us, men are supposed to do for their wives. Take a bullet for them, because God values them, and we are to value them. Amen. And we're to value them as equal partners in the grace of life and co-heirs, it says, of the grace of life. Uh, created in God's image, men are not more valuable to God than women. Uh, we're just opposite sexes of the same human race, created in God's image for his glory. And Jesus died all, for all of us equally. Amen. So uh, we praise the Lord for that. We just have different roles. And today you see a lot of men even uh, trying to be women because they recognize, well, I don't know what's what they recognize, but... <laughs> But uh, they want to be women, you know, and uh, that man, Bruce Jenner, you know, and I won't call him Kate. I'm sorry. You rest me for it if you want, you know, because he's Bruce, okay? Uh, he still has a prostate as my, my dear mother and happy Mother's Day, Mom. I wished her happy Mother's Day earlier this morning on the phone because she's in Idaho now. But uh, she, used to, uh, she said, my, when this whole first thing was going down, she said, the doctor was telling me all these men that are claiming to be women have prostates. Women don't have prostates. That's right. You know, that's true. Uh, they're biologically men, and it's a, it's a, it's a lie. And the, the, the Word of God is so clear, and biology is so clear, right? But the world loves lies, and that's what the Bible says it would be like in the last days. And those who do not love the truth will be given over to a strong delusion. And it's important that we understand that Satan wants to erase these roles between men and women. And he actually wants to pit them against each other. Just as he fans the flames of racism through a lot of liberal media, right? Uh, there's racism is constantly being fanned in, in the guise of, oh, you know, you know, we all need to be equal. It's like they're constantly causing hatred. And, and it's just very, very sad when you see what they're doing. And they've also caused or fanned the flames of gender wars. We shouldn't, the Bible teaches complementarianism, that a man and a woman are created to... Uh, complement one another. Biologically, the two fit together, not only uh, physically in the sense of they're compatible, but they produce babies when they're together, right? Two men get together and it produces things like AIDS or 
passes on things like AIDS and things of that nature. So, uh, and I make, I make no apologies about speaking the truth in love because I, I love God, I love his truth, and I love uh, the people he's made in his image, and I want them to know his truth. And my heart breaks because the lies lead people into destruction. You know, the suicide rate among people that do the transgender deal is like through the roof. It's like among the highest on the planet. That should break our hearts. And a lot of times, the way it's happening today, it's become like popular, you know? Oh, well, you, you, you got a boy, but you want a girl? Just dress him like a girl. And, and say you see certain inclinations in him that may determine that maybe he's really a girl deep down. You know what, how that does to somebody, man? If my mom was dressing me in dresses when I was little, I mean, I'm a big guy. I wouldn't look good in dress right now or then either. But, you know, it ain't right. We just know intuitively there's something really, really, really wrong with that, you know? In the same way by treating a girl that she's supposed to be a man. Now, I'm not saying, you know, uh, in regard to our human race and who we are, uh, there's a lot, there's demonic powers that want to influence us. Uh, different men have different strengths and weaknesses in certain areas. Different women have different strengths and different weaknesses in certain areas. And you can be a strong woman, amen? We need strong woman, women, amen? We need Deborahs, amen, that, that can step up and, and, and do things, amen? But they're strong women. But Satan will take that and try to tweak it. So we need to know who we are in Christ, amen? And there needs to be men who are gentle and sensitive, but they still need to realize they're men, amen? They are men. So... Uh, and I've just said a bunch of things that are not in my notes. You know why I'm in trouble? I'm going to get done on time because it's Mother's Day and we need to get out so all the mothers can go to the Mother's Day lunch or wherever they do. And I've got to get home to my wife and happy Mother's Day, Lisa. Again, I told her even before Mother's Day in case, you know, we went like this in the morning and I didn't see her, but I got that uh, told her later as well. But uh, I had 40 pages, 39 pages of notes. I've whittled down to 28. <laughs> I hardly ever... You know, but don't worry, we're going to get through them because I'm going to be skipping a whole lot. And since worship was even shorter, way shorter than usual, I thought it was. I was like, I always have to scribble my notes right before I go up because I need to know what I'm looking at. Now I got a ton of notes that are not, have no underlying no scribbles, and I rarely ever come up with notes like that. And uh, so, but we'll be good, you know. And by the way, what Nick was saying about Susanna Wesley, I, lo- I read a lot about Wesley and uh, he just had such an emphasis on the evangelical Christian church. Uh, and so Church Nazarene, Wesleyan Holiness churches, Methodist churches, they basically all came out of uh, God used him to just spread the gospel. Did a lot of open air preaching when Church of England wouldn't let him preach. And he just took to the streets, you know. And uh, so many people got saved through his ministry, as Nick had mentioned. But it's interesting because as mothers, you get really, really, really busy. And... Mothers trip me out because anybody know, it's ridiculous when someone says, you know, being a mother that, oh, you know, so-and-so is just, she's just a housewife, you know. It's ridiculous. And I got a little quote I'm going to mention earlier on that because I thought it was really good that I, that I read in a letter to Ann Landers some years ago that I thought was really great. But it's like, any of you men know if you have a few kids or even one kid? And your wife goes off and you have to, I see some heads shaking up and down over there, Gerald. <laughs> now he's shaking back for Yeah. You, just, you have to do it all and the mom's gone. <sighs> it's work, man. And women are able to use, and science shows us this so far, from, that they're able to use the left and the right side of their brains better than men as far as, the, you know, that's why a lot of times women will make really good managers because they can, a lot of times women can do a lot of things at once. I'm not demeaning the men and men. You tend to be more 
can be very, very focused sometimes. Engineers, great engineers, things like that. We compliment each other. Women can be great engineers and guys can be great managers. I'm not saying it's, I'm not generalizing either. I'm just saying the way we're constructed, it's really interesting. And women, mothers have to be like octopuses, amen? And some of you, you that teach or are involved in you know, school systems or you're uh, <laughs> involved in any kind of thing where you got to do a lot of different tasks at once, you realize, you know, it's important if you can juggle a few things at once. But uh, Susanna Wesley, you know, she, she had all these kids. As, as uh, Brother Nick said, she had like 19 kids, you know. About half of them had died, but that still left her with a ton of kids. And she was bringing them up to Jesus. And she could just want to get away, but you know what? You can't just get away. You're a mother. You have obligations. Like the Gates family. Was it Melinda Gates? They're getting a divorce right now. Richest couple in the world, I guess. Uh, just in the news, Bill Gates. And, and apparently he had a deal when he got married, he, you know. I think it was around 1997 that he's able to spend one weekend a year with his ex-girlfriend, you know. That doesn't make for good marriages. And that's not going to last. They made it last for a little while. But biblically speaking, that's not how you build on a biblical foundation, you know. And then she wants to get away. And she goes and rents an island for like 30-some I mean, it's, I mean, I can't remember the number. It's just, those were some of the notes I left out, okay? I mean, it's like tens of thousands of dollars a day or whatever. It's just her island. And if you sisters want to get away for a little bit, you can't do that. Susanna Wesley, she has all these kids, some crying and everything else. And she was, she, you, you, she couldn't do that. But you know what she did? She made sure she spent time with the Lord. She tried to spend as much time, she, she had a rule, to spend as much time with the Lord in prayer and study more time in prayer and study than entertainment every day. She made sure she did that. Uh, I read a whole list of things that she had done in one of my Mother's Day messages some time back. But what's interesting about her is she couldn't just get away. So you know what she would do? She would go to her tent of meeting, okay? Not a literal tent, but she would throw her apron up. And she'd spend an hour or so with the Lord in prayer. That blesses my heart. And all the children knew, mom's praying, don't bother her. Because she was quite the disciplinarian as well. So she's had the fear of God in those children, you know. And <laughs> she had her prayer closet, you know. And uh, she took it pretty literally, you know. I remember we had a couple in the, uh, gals in the fellowship uh, that were new and Doug had brought them. And I'm preaching on prayer and things of that nature. And I'm going to speak at a church, Calvary Chapel Downey, doing a, uh, was invited to speak there. Uh, we had a great crowd. But the pastor said, i got to clear something up before you preach. He goes, it's all good. But I just had a, a, a mother come to me, and she's concerned about her daughter, saying that they must belong to a cult because they, she wants to tell, tell how I brainwash her kids, you know. And I go, okay, yeah. I want to let her know that I talked to you, but it's, I know what, what's going on. And he goes, yeah, she said that you've talked about praying, and the Bible talks, Jesus talked about praying in a prayer closet. And you have them praying in a closet, they're literally going in their closet and praying and seeking God, you know? And yeah, he, he knew that, I'm, even if I did say li that's literal, and I never said it was literal, and I never taught that, you know, that you literally got to go into your closet, you know? Although if your closet is bigger than my bedroom, which some people's are, fine, that's a great place to go, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but I thought it was, I thought it, he, we laughed because we thought it was so awesome. Praise God, they're going and praying, amen? They're taking prayer seriously. Well, she took prayer seriously, and uh, and I'm letting you sisters know, fathers too, this message is for everybody. 
and it's for all of us, it applies to all of us in various ways, is prayer is huge. You can't get away to an island and spend tens of thousands of dollars a day on an island to rent, you know? And that's, you know, not the great, that's not the example, the gates, amen? I mean, look at what's happened in their marriage. What you need to do is seek Jesus, and you need to have a place where you can find to pray, because you're going to have to have your spiritual batteries charged to be a mother. How many mothers know that? How many mothers know that if you're not praying, and you're not crying out to God, you're going to get burned out? Amen? I know you know that. It's important. Your prayer life is huge. And if you have a good, strong prayer life, you're going to want to get your kids to know the Word, because as you seek the Lord in prayer, and you, and so I want to encourage you, find a place. Find a place to pray and seek the Lord. For me, I, I, I wake up in the morning. I wake up through the night at times, but I seek the Lord in my bed. I cry out to him, and you see that throughout the Psalms. But then when I get up in my office, I seek the Lord in my office, you know. When I used to work outside the house, uh, and I still do this to this day, I'd, I'd drive, you know. And, and I'd pray, and I'd memorize. I memorized about half the book Revelation, driving. I know, I'm already a dangerous driver. That's crazy, huh? You know, uh, Anyway, it's important to spend time in prayer and in the Word. She spent time in the Word. Her husband was a, a preacher, and when he would leave, they'd have substitute preachers. But she was discouraged because when the substitute preachers would come, she didn't really feel that the preaching a lot of times was strong. So she started to train her children up and have these Bible studies at home with them. And that little Bible study with her children to about 200 people, okay? And she was also in sisters, mothers. It's important. Your, 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 your children might get tired of hearing the same thing, but the Bible uses repetition. There's an emphasis. Peter, it's, it's, it talks about it's important for me to put your remembrance of the same things again. Paul says the same thing. Samuel, which was the wife of Susanna, or husband of Susanna, uh, said to her, you know what? I've seen you teach him 20 times, this, this child, before he finally got it. You know, 20 times you gave him the same lesson. And she goes, yeah, and what would have happened if I stopped at 19? You know, in other words, guess what? It does take, you have to be serious. You have to be diligent about training your children. And I'm still on page one. I got 28 to go. And I haven't even read the first verse. I haven't read the first part of my notes. So Lord, help me. Uh, Proverbs chapter one, let's go there. We will get done on time. We're supposed to be done at 10, out of here, or done, I should say, at 1045. We will do that by the grace of God. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs. And by the way, if you want to, you know who Proverbs is given to read? It's for us, yes, but primarily it's for children to read. Did you know that? Children are supposed to read Proverbs addressed to them. Verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse seven, this is foundational. Mothers, you must teach your children. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So foundational to our walks with the Lord is the fear of the Lord. If we don't fear the Lord, we won't turn from sin. If we don't fear the Lord, we won't revere him as the incredible consuming fire that he is. We have to fear the Lord, and we need to instill the fear of the Lord in our children. And that comes from reading them scripture. From How many mothers are teaching your children Bible stories, you know, and letting them know how serious God is? Just teaching them simple Bible stories, and the lessons of those stories can have a huge impact on their hearts and their minds, but they need to have the fear of the Lord, the Bible says. And Jesus says, 
Don't fear man, he can destroy your body. Remember that? But fear God, he can destroy your body and your soul in hell. The Bible says, and that's New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. In Revelation chapter 14, when one, one of the three angels goes through the mid-heavens during the time of the Antichrist, he says he preaches the everlasting gospel. His first words, fear God. Okay? And that's left out of much preaching today. And I, I love to preach on the fear of God because it's been such a blessing in my own life. It's such a purifying effect on us to recognize that we're going to stand before him. And can you imagine? The Bible says even the demons fear and tremble. And when Jesus confronts the demoniac, they say, have you come here to torment us before our time? They shake. Satan in the demonic realm, they fear and tremble the judgment of God. How much more should we, mere humans, because angels are created greater than I, greater than us, amen? We need to teach our children to have the fear of God. If they knew who God was, they would fear him. And they need to know who he is through your sharing. And then look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your what? Your mother's teaching. That word hear would probably be better translated listen. In fact, we use typically, because we've been using it for years, which is a great translation. It's a very literal translation. The NASB, the 1995 version, they just came out with a new NASB. Maybe we'll make a transition to the new NASB eventually. We'll see or another translation, but I've been using this for years. It's a great translation. But the new NASB has the first word is listen. And that word here, that Hebrew word here, would probably be better translated listen because the idea, listen doesn't even really bring the, bring the great understanding that we need from the Hebrew word because the word means to listen, meaning pay attention, and it even has the idea of discipline in it, and it has the idea of application. Apply your mother's teaching. Apply your father and mother's teaching. Okay? And it even has, as I mentioned, the idea of discipline, and it's a very powerful Hebrew word. Listen, my son to your father's instruction, and, to, and do not forsake your mother's what? Your mother's teaching, okay? And I want you to understand, this is so important that we get this. The father and the mother both should be homeschooling their children, okay? The Bible teaches absolutely that you should be involved in homeschooling. Am I saying exclusively? No. We've never judged anybody in this fellowship. We have brothers and sisters that exclusively homeschool, we have brothers and sisters that have their kids in private Christian school. We have brothers and sisters that use the public school and hopefully watch over what's being taught there and the kids are around, amen. But you have to do that, by the way, you have to do that at private Christian schools too. And you even have to do that with homeschooling associations. A lot of those children have gone off the rails. So you have to be very, very wise. You know that as parents that are involved. In your, in, but you need to be very, very attentive with regard to your child's life. Some of the greatest teachers, the most, and I don't mean greatest in a good way, the most effective teachers in your children's lives are other kids. The Bible says if you hang out with a fool, you'll become a fool. If you hang out with an angry person, you become angry. If you hang out with a wise, you'll become wise. So the Bible says one sinner could do much harm, and bad company corrupts good morals. So you can allow your children to be, I know, man, I grew up, I had great parents, you know, but I hung out with the wrong people all day long. You know, I'd go off at our day, man. You didn't just stay in your house play video games, man. You got up and see in the morning, I'll see you, and you wouldn't be back until dinner time. You got really hungry. A lot of times. That was my life growing up. And you know what? I hung out with kids where we were smoking pot and at a young age, you know, getting drunk, breaking houses, doing whatever all the kids were doing. Horrible, wicked stuff. It was like, what in the world? I mean, that's how I grew up. And you can't just leave a child to himself because... We'll, we'll cover that a little bit later. You have to discipline your children. You have to teach them the difference right and wrong. And you can't just, you have to realize your child's like a vacuum, right? 
And you're going to either fill that with truth or he's going to be sucking up all the lies out there. It's going to happen because we're created to worship. And he's going to worship the one true God and know God's truth. Or he's going to worship lies. He's going to worship idols and the things of this age. So we have to be so very, very careful. It's so important that we bring them up in the fear of the Lord. And we teach them biblical truth. See, what I'm saying is that whether you have your children, child in private school, public school, or you're homeschooling, all, everybody is called to homeschool to a degree. Amen? So if your child's in a private Christian school or public school, you do not, are not to advocate the, the responsibility to teach them God's truth. Amen? In fact, if they're in a public school, all the more you need to make sure they know God's truth and they're walking in it and they're growing in it. It's so important. Okay, but hey, I've had, you can go to a private Christian school and they can, and there's a lot of times there's kids at private Christian schools that are put there because they got thrown out of the public school and their parents had the money and they're sometimes really bad kids and they can influence you and your, your kids. You have to be so careful and so watchful. That means having discussions with your children, you know, and not letting your children develop relationships with people that are going on the broad road and bent on destruction and making that look attractive and introducing your kids to all kinds of wicked music and wicked pornography and entertainment, man. you got to guard your child's hearts, okay? Because they're too young to guard them themselves at first. And it means also setting an example. I mean, can you imagine John Wesley and Charles Wesley watching their mom under her apron praying an hour every day? What kind of effects that can have on kids? John Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote more hymns than just about anybody on the planet. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you know, Amazing Love. These are written by, I mean, look at the production of what came out of her godly life. And Nick had already read to you in the announcements that he learned so much from his mom, more than any theologian, because he followed her example. It's what, a, what a beautiful truth. I love it, man. Remember, I remember Ben Carson, one of the stories he would tell, and what do you have that, what was that movie, Golden Hands or Gifted Hands? I'm being told Golden and Gifted Hands. Gifted Hands, okay. Praise God. It was one of the two. Because he was one of the best surgeons ever, man. First guy to take apart conjoined twins, you know. There was a movie about him. Pretty amazing. And a professing Christian. And, and he said that his mom would set an example for him. Now, she would set an example and she would read, you know. But she didn't know how to read. So she just had books to encourage him by way of example. Not saying to do that because it's not, you know. But and the senator, man, what's the senator from Carolina that spoke after Biden did to give the Republican? Scott. Yeah, what a, and he's a professing Christian. It seemed like a dear man. He said the same thing. I think it was his dad would read the newspaper, set an example to read, but his dad didn't know how to read. Just to be an example to his kid, you know. I'm not saying to do that. Luther Bible. No, if you're going to fake read your Bible, listen to the Bible online, okay? You know, it'd be, be better to get a lot more out of it that way. But the idea of trying to set an example for your kids uh, is so important. And showing them what it means to love the Lord. And don't count my pages turning. That's only two or three, maybe, and I got 28. Don't worry, I'm going to move pretty quick. The time, we're going to end the same time as usual, actually a little bit earlier, hopefully. Uh, definitely try to get there on time. Because I can just cut my message off anywhere, and we're going to do that if I have to. So, uh, one reason, the Lord, who's, who did the Lord first choose to make the nation of Israel? Abraham, right? One reason God chose Abraham, Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him 
so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. The Lord starts out his whole program to choose Israel among all these different nations so through Israel he could bring the Messiah, amen, and that the Messiah could bless the nations of the world through bringing them salvation for whosoever will. And he starts out with saying, hey, I chose Abraham, this is why. To train up his children after him to follow the way of the Lord because he wanted the people that were devoted to him. God is very interested in you and desirous of you, making sure you train up your children in the way of the Lord. It's so critical, okay? Uh, it's important, absolutely important. And look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake what? Your mother's teaching. And there's scriptures, we won't go through them all, that talk about, and I'll mention some later, about the mother's teaching. Mothers, you are a teacher. That's one of your roles. Oh, you're just a housewife? No, I'm a teacher. What kind of teacher? A teacher of the words of God, the creator of the universe. Wow. That's so, it's so huge. And uh, by the way, look at verse 9, the very next verse. Indeed, they are what? A graceful wreath or garland to your head and ornaments about your neck. And a garland or, or wreath or, or uh, would be like twisted vines or uh, plants, just beautiful. And then like a necklace. And that's what God's word is. God, God's word, when you give it to your children and they receive it, beautifies your family, beautifies your children. Remember Job's daughters, you know, they're the most beautiful in all the land. Here's a man who woke up in the morning, okay? And if his children, and they're grown up now, they're out of the house. They have their own homes. They'd get together and have a party, okay? And they would glorify God and praise God. But you know what? He would sacrifice an animal in case when they were having their parties together and get together to fellowship with one another in case any of them might have cursed God in their hearts. He'd, he'd sacrifice an, a huge bull, you know, because he cared. Now, guys, he was the most righteous man in the land. He cared about his children. Even when they were out of the house and they were older, he was concerned about their spirituality, Amen. And we need to do that. And he had these beautiful daughters. And guess what? Well, huh, your children, when you teach them God's word and the fear of God, there's a beauty. There's something incredibly beautiful to me about godly women are just like, when they're radiant, when they just see this. The Bible calls it the beauty of holiness. When you see women that fear and love, the God, love God, they're circumspect in the way they conduct themselves. Because the world is so sleazy around us, right? It's just so ugly. And you have these women that just stand out as paragons of virtue who love and fear God, who bring their children up in the Lord, who spend time with them in the Word of God. There's such a deep beauty to that. It's, it's true of men and women who just love the Lord. There's a, there's a beauty of holiness. And that's what happens when you bring your children up in Christ. You're not simply to bring your children up biologically, man. Amen? Oh, I had, a ba I, I, had a, I had a baby, my father. Yeah, well, are you really a biblical father? Because what you want to do is not just pass on your biology. You want to pass on your spirituality, amen? You want to make sure they know the Lord, and that's very, very critical, very, very important. So uh, it's beautiful. And the, the neck, I mean, the Bible talks about bind kindness and truth around your neck, right? Right in on the, on the tablets of your heart, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 there. The Bible talks about the one who rejects God's word. He doesn't have a beautiful neck. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, his neck is stiff. In other words, he can't turn his head 
from the broad road that leads to destruction, and he's going the wrong direction, and he will suddenly be cut off without remedy, it says. So you want to teach your children when they're young not to have stiff necks, but for there to be a beautiful necklace of God's truth around their neck and written in their hearts and a crown upon their heads. Paul talked about he beats his body down, and he goes on to talk about not craving evil things, right? So after he's preached to others, he would become cast away or a docomas, but that he'd receive the crown of life, amen? And we want them to be crowned for eternity. So it's important. Uh, now, it's also important to recognize that we have two extremes today with regarding mother's teaching. You either have uh, fathers that don't want their children to be taught the word of God by mothers, and that's an extreme, you know? And, and how many children could have been saved from the pit, saved from lives of destruction, had the mothers been able to instruct them in the word of God? Of course, when you have atheistic fathers, agnostic fathers, a lot of times children can't be taught the word of God, and that's heartbreaking. But you also have another extreme where, you know, uh, where fathers let their, yeah, of course, teach our children the word of God, but they have the women do all the work. They have the mothers do all the work. As though the mother's role is to teach the child the word of God. And they don't lift a finger to teach their children the word of God. That is a travesty. Because he says in verse 8, hear or listen, my son, to who's teaching? Fathers and mothers, amen. We're a team. We're a team. In fact, most of the book of Proverbs, you see the father speaking in the first person about his teaching. And then the mother's teaching comes up as joined to his teaching. So they're on the same page. They fear the same God. They love the same God. And they're teaching the same truth because there's only one ultimate truth, amen, to their child. So it's important to be in the word together. And you can't teach the word if you're not in the word. So parents, it's important to be in the word, to be studying like we mentioned earlier with Susanna Wesley. Now, the Bible gives a hierarchical system. The Bible teaches that God is a God of order. He's not the God of confusion. And that there's order in our, in our homes regarding our roles and so forth. And the scriptures teach that the Father, and this starts with heaven itself. The Bible says that the Father's ahead of Christ, 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. This is very important that you get this because the world hates order. The world loves anarchy. The world loves chaos. And they'd fan the flames of even more if it wouldn't destroy their own lives. But the Bible says God's a God of authority. He's a God of order. He wants to make sure, you need to make sure that you recognize that there's order. Okay? In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, but I want you to understand that God is the head of Christ. So the Father there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? They're co-equal in the triune Godhead. Except the Father, they have, they have the Father sends Jesus to the world. He's the God-man. And we don't have time to get into the Trinity, but it's quite beautiful when you think of it. And there's this mutual love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share between one another. But guess what? The Father's ahead of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven three 3, that Christ is ahead of every man. Listen to this. But I want you to understand that Christ is ahead of every man. Okay, then in 1 Corinthians eleven three, it also says this, that the man is ahead of the woman. It says, but I want you to understand that, quote, the man is ahead of a woman. Colossians 3.18, wives, be subject to your husbands or submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So there's that leadership uh, roles that God has for us. Just as the father is not more God than Jesus, Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man, called the hypostatic union theology, women and men share, share humanity equally, but they have different roles. Like I said, there's special privileges that women are given. 
like having babies and so forth that men are trying to want to do today, but they weren't called to that. There's certain roles that men have as well. So, and the apostles were submissive to Christ. You see that throughout Scripture. You know, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter, will you two go away? Where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. And pastors and elders were submitted to the apostles. You see how this works? And parents, okay, and members of the church were submitted to the leaders in the church, the pastors slash elders. Hebrews 3, 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Serious thing. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay? In other words, if they're constantly putting out fires and not able to teach the word of God, you're not going to grow. Children were to be submissive. Children, young people, listen, are supposed to be submissive to their parents. Uh, Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Proverbs 17.25, A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. So it's important that we get this. Proverbs chapter 19, verse, or 29, verse 15. A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left himself disgraces his mother. Children, be obedient. You want to give your mother's a great Mother's Day? Just don't do it once a year. Be nice and kind. Happy Mother's Day. And be just a wicked tyrant the rest of the year, you know? I have so many regrets. I, love, I have one of the best mothers ever, you know? And I was such a terrible kid, you know? I'm not going to get into that, but I was, just, I was just a bad kid, you know? Doing my own thing. I say things to this day. I can remember things I said to my mom that I so, that break my heart that I regret, you know? And uh, Peggy's shaking her head too because she was even worse, you know? <laughs> uh, no, she wasn't worse than me. But close, many, many days. Some days she did exceed me by far, but yeah. <laughs> but we had a great mom, very patient, and a great mother. We just, our hearts just, we love her. She's amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Don't be a wise son. Bring joy to your mom and dad. Amen? Be obedient, you know? And... Uh, it's important, man, that fathers step up and fulfill their role to help the mothers, amen, that you don't leave the teaching all to mom. Oh, well, she'll teach them the Bible. No, that's primarily your role, and she helps you. You do it together as a team, and she's going to impart things to your children that you won't impart, and you recognize that, you appreciate that, and you're going to impart things to your children that she, she's not imparting because you're gonna, that, that leadership role as a man and so forth. These are, these, these, you're going to work in tandem uh, together. It's very, very important. We need each other. I remember my wife, you know, she homeschooled three children. You know, she did a fantastic job. But there's times where, you know, but we, we, we did it together, you know. She did mo the bulk of the homeschooling by far, you know, but I taught all of them to read, taught them the word of God. I, 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 those were all very important things to do to help her out. And I also was the primary disciplinarian there. You know, there were times where after we had Heather, that's three kids, and then after I had Heather, she just wilted physically. I mean, she was just, she couldn't do it. She had no energy. And she was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, you know. And we thought she had that for some time, and, and she couldn't do anything, you know. And I, you know, it was like I, I, she had a really hard time disciplining the kids almost at all. She's so, you know. And, and then the diagnosis switched because she wasn't getting MS, her MS treated, 
well, she was for MS, but didn't, she didn't have MS. She had Lyme disease. It was little nasty spiracletes that go and, you know, eat the myelin sheaths around your nerves and expose them to where you get shorts in your system to where you get buzzy and you lose function to a degree or you can. It can be really horrible. Then we found out that's what she had, you know. And praise God, she's been a lot better since. But there's been some bouts that she's had with that uh, since as well. But uh, the Bible says, husbands dwell with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel, okay? And they, we need to be a team, okay? The wives are also women. When it says that God made Eve as a helpmate, that word is translated shield throughout the Old Testament at times of God himself. Women are to shield their children from evil. They're to set examples. They're to teach the word. They're to discipline. But fathers, you do not advocate your responsibility. You need to step in and be the man of God that God's called you to be. And I praise God because we have a fellowship here uh, and among our li- many of our live stream groups where the men are real men of God. Because you go to a lot of fellowships and it's mostly women, you know, and men are just along for the ride. And they, they could tell you who won the Super Bowl in 1942 or something. Well, they have Super Bowls in 42 championships, but in 1992. But they can't even tell you John 3.16, you know. That's so wrong, you know. And men, we need to be men of God. The, the, the Lord's called us to, to be such. So, and also, so we have, and children are to be submissive to their parents. Listen to Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. We're talking about this hierarchy of order. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The book of Proverbs has a lot of Proverbs that warn about the son that's a rebel will die, won't live out half his age, you know, which is a general truth, you know. Uh, you know, he'll be, he'll, his eye will be pecked out by the, by the raven in the valley, you know, dead corpse. And it warns about uh, submitting to the leadership of your parents so you live long on the earth, okay? I grew up with young guys, and my, some, three out of my, I think, wow, Three out of my five closest boyhood friends are dead. One died a little bit later, quite a bit later in life, and he wasn't really, he submitted to the Lord. He was an awesome guy. The other two, I loved them, but they died young, man. And they were rebels like I was, you know. But I came to Jesus. My other friends came to Jesus. These two younger friends of mine both died inebriated, you know, young. Didn't get out of their teens. Uh, Maybe one was just over 20, you know. And they continued in that rebellion. That should have been me too. I don't say, oh, I'm a righteous guy. No, by God's grace. I wouldn't be here, but by God's grace. But his word, his truth, his grace, his love saves us. But we have to cling to it. We have to turn to him. So Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen? So there's this hierarchical system that God set up. Because, and when, you, when it's observed, there's great beauty in the family. There's great beauty in the church. There's great beauty in the kingdom of God. But when there's rebellion against God's order, there's chaos. Just as when there's rebellion in your body with certain cells not working with other cells, organs get destroyed. Cancer, death, okay? That's what happens to a church body. We need to recognize order and praise God for it. And young people, when your parents get very old, guess what? There's still a way that you're submissive to them. I'm not talking about you have to obey. I mean, you cut the, 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 the you know apron strings eventually you cut the umbilical cord you know leave your parents you cleave to your wife but guess what there's still this responsibility listen to first timothy 5 4 but if she has children or grandchildren talk about a widow who's lost her husband and she's over 60 years old if she has children or grandchildren their first responsibility is to show godliness at home 
and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Wow. So even when our parents are older, we still have an obligation to take care of them in some way, you know, and make sure it's tangible and that we're actually showing them love. Amen. So fathers, I mean, you have, you're the pastor of your, 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 your home. You're the, you're, the, you're the head of your home. But a pastor is not supposed to take advantage of his position. As a pastor at Blessed Hope, I see myself as a servant. And if you've been here any time long, that's you know who I am. I'm a, I don't order people around, do this for me and do that. No, I serve you, man. I, the Bible says, feed my sheep to, to leaders, you know. So what do you do? That's why I can have 28 pages of notes trimmed down from 39 because I take my, my feeding of my, uh, the sheep that the Lord's put under me very seriously because I'm an under-shepherd and an under-roar to the ultimate shepherd and, and our, the captive of our ship, the Lord Jesus Christ. And feed my sheep. But also, he says to guard the flock, Acts chapter 20. So I'm supposed to guard the flock from wolves. You need to feed the sheep at home. You need to be feeding your children the word of God and taking that very seriously, dads, amen? And moms too, amen? And you need to be guarding them from the wolves because there's all kinds of wolves out there. The, one of the most popular Satanists in, is Marilyn Manson, who's in the news right now and been in trouble for alleged sexual abuse. Doesn't surprise me. But guess what? He said, raise your children better. I'll be raising them for you. That's what's going to happen. If you don't feed your sheep and guard them from the wolves, they're going to have this vacuum that somebody else is going to fill. Amen? You need to train them up. Amen? Now, and also, we tend our sheep. We show them care. You know, we pray for them. You know? Don't just pray. I don't just pray for you guys. I pray with you guys. You know? Same thing with your children. You pray for them, but you pray with them. Amen? You pray with your children. You teach them how to pray. And young people, you need to understand, when your parents are feeding you God's truth, when they're warning you about things that could be deleterious to your spiritual health, your physical health, when they're praying for you, praying with you, intending to you, and encouraging you, and so forth, that's, you should be so thankful for that. You shouldn't be like resentful of that. You should be, wow, praise God, I have parents that love me, parents that care about me, amen? So very, very important. Now, Please turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Chapter 22, verse 6. This is a powerful, powerful verse, although it's translated different ways and understood in different ways. In some ways, and, and what happens sometimes with Hebrew grammar, like Greek grammar, sometimes a sentence can, can be understood or translated different ways and actually have totally different meaning and be true to the grammar still okay so it's hard sometimes for the translators to really uh, be confident sometimes in some translations but God has not left us without a witness and we have his word in, in his inerrant word in truth so whatever way this ends up being translated with the two translations I say that are the most possible either way those are both biblical principles so there's no and the God's made sure that's clear in scripture to us but let's look at verse six Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's one of the most quoted parenting verses and probably the most quoted parenting verse in the Bible. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. And obviously that is a truth that we see throughout the Scripture. And, uh, but I'm going to show you alternative understandings of that to a degree as well. And then I mean, you, can, you can say you know, where you want to settle in on that, but either way it's going to come, I believe, to the same reality as to how you obey this scripture because I think it says the same thing whether you translate it one way or another 
in either in a positive way or a negative way, it encourages you to apply it in the same way. You'll see what I'm saying in a minute. But train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The problem with the translation and the way he should go, the word should go is not in the Hebrew text. So uh, it literally would say in Hebrew something like train up a child, and the word train can mean begin like the NIV has, or dedicate, because that Hebrew word that's translated train there can mean dedicate, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I love to dive into the text with you so you can, we can mine it and say, what's going on here? And it's interesting, but it would be train up a child in his way. And when he's old, he will not depart. There's no, almost every translation has something like in the way, in his way, or, but then as he should go. Because it's like, what do you mean his way? They're just, you know. And sometimes when you read Hebrew, the Hebrew would be understood in a certain way by the ancients, but we don't always understand it the way they would have understood it because we don't, have some, we don't have all these Hebrew grammars that were written to understand, you know, the nuances of the Hebrew language written contemporaneous with when the text was written. So you have to uh, say, okay, but God's made his word clear, but in some places you have to do a little more study. And I think he does that on purpose, so we search things out. And that's part of the Proverbs, you know. It talks about them being like riddles. There's puzzles in a way too. So what's he saying here? What's going on here? Well, one way to understand this is uh, the, the, the Amplified Bible Translate this way, train up a child in the way he should go. So it has, this, this ampli- the Amplified Bible has like almost every understanding of this translation stuck into one verse. Because it says, train up a child in the way he should go, then in brackets and in keeping with his individual gift. So it's lending itself to the idea that the way he should go, but then it's saying, ah, oh, it's maybe not the way he should go, but the way he should go isn't in the Hebrew, but we're going to put that there anyway in accordance with his gift in brackets, like maybe this is what it's saying because it's really saying his way, meaning his gifts. See what they're doing? And so you have a popular view today out in the church that you bring up a child in accordance with the gifts that God's given him, okay? And then you, you kind of tailor him toward a certain vocation. You look at each child, hey, each child is different, and what gifts does my child have? I'm going to bring them up to be this, that, or the other. Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because the Bible, the book of Proverbs is more about character than about vocation and what you're going to be when you're older, you know? Uh, so it, it doesn't, mm, it's like, it mm, doesn't seem to fit the context of the book of Proverbs uh, very well. Although, guess what? <laughs> the, the amplified version develops it even more. Train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. <laughs> so, or bent. So he's saying it may not be gift or it may be or bent or gift and bent. And there's an old proverb, you know, American proverb that as you, you bend a trig, so the twig will grow, okay? And the idea, and some scholars believe that it's, talk, it's like a horticultural understanding that your child is bent one way or another, you bring them up according to their bend, meaning if you have a child, uh, if you have a a, a, a a plant that's bent the wrong way and it's not gonna get enough sun and so forth, you... You, you, you bring it up according to its bend and you shift that bend to where it can get sunlight or it can get enough shade depending on what kind of plant it is or what have you. So you look at each child and you say, hey, how are they? How do I bring them up? How do I bring them up to, to know Jesus, you know? And each child is different. So that's an interesting way of looking at it for sure, you know? I brought that up as uh, before. It's, it's interesting because a lot of people use the agricultural agrarian type of society hey it's according to their bent you gotta you're they're constantly farming 
So bring them up according to their bent. Each plant you have to tailor to fit so it can grow and bear the most fruit, which makes some sense. And for sure, kids are different. I have three children, and my daughters could not be more different than each other's. If you talk to Heather and you talk to Holly, they are definitely different individuals, but both in beautiful ways because they both love Jesus, you know, and they both know Jesus. And I just was thinking about, wow, you know, the gals I was going through, I was thinking of Peyton. We just, Peyton, happy graduation again. It was beautiful. And it's just so beautiful seeing her uh, graduate and uh, Lauren didn't graduate here in California. And then Hannah, we had a little graduation thing for her a while back, but she, because uh, her graduation, some of them, you know, because of the whole pandemic and everything, you know, but, I, but seeing the pictures of Lauren, you know, uh, her graduation, so beautiful. Hannah, so beautiful. I think of all these gals, you bring them up in the way you, they ought to go in the Lord, and you encourage them in Jesus, you know. And I see Peyton here, and she's just this beautiful young lady that just loves Jesus and just blesses my heart so much. I love you, Peyton. And I just, uh, you know, just to see what the Lord's done in, in our children and in our, my nieces and, and your children and, and your nieces. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But yeah, they're, they're, but my children, when I saw them, it's like I had to bring them up in different ways. I brought them up all with the same message, but I had to apply it in different ways, you know. Heather's a middle child like I'm a middle child, you know. And not that a middle child is always this way. I don't go for that, you know. But guess what? They can tend to get... You know, don't get the initial attention. They don't get the last end of the attention sometimes. So you got to make sure, and I made sure from the get-go that I always spent time with her and let her know how much I love her and that she's just valued me as the other kids. And she's so remarkable in so many ways. And, and so is Holly. And so is Josiah. I love my kids. But you know what? So that translation, that understanding, that could be, although, you know, not, I don't know that absolutely, but guess what? The net effect's going to be the same. If you, if you bring that into your understanding, there's wisdom in that anyway, because guess what? You're supposed to not answer full according to his folly, right? And then it's like, well, answer full, and the scriptures say answer the full as well. Well, guess what? You don't answer him in the way he speaks with foolishness, but you answer him according to what he needs because of his folly. So when it comes to children, you have to say, okay, who's where, what do they need? Now, the New Living Translation translates that direct your children onto the right path or in the way you should go. And when they are older, they will not leave. Most scholars believe that basic, not the NLT specifically, but that translation. In fact, almost if you go to Bible Hub, or you go to where you see translation, you can click more translation, you see, you know, 25 translations or so. Almost all of them translate it, train up a child in the way he should go and add the word should go because most translators, Hebrew scholars, believe that that's what the intention is there. And it, it's very possible that that is the case. I don't believe, uh, it, some, some understand it, bring your child up to his own inclinations, the way, things that he just wants to do, just let him do them. That would totally contradict the book of Proverbs. Amen? Because the book of Proverbs is curbing evil appetites and bringing transformation to your child through biblical instruction and even physical coercion at some points, you know, uh, not violence, but, you know, uh, corporal discipline and so forth. So it's important that we get this. Uh, by the way, and we're going to get back to a, another way to look at this verse too, which is quite interesting uh, that I find very fascinating because it looks like this could be indeed what's being said there, although it would not contradict bringing them up in the way they should go either, which you'll see in a minute. However, uh, discipline is very, very important. It's not just the teaching of the father and the mother, but it's also the discipline, okay? And uh, I love it when mothers discipline their children. We see a mother right now walking out to discipline her daughter, 
you know. Ah, just kidding, guys. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's important that uh, we take our discipline of our children seriously. Because there's consequences to not disciplining your children. And not just as, are, as to not teaching your children. Proverbs 29.15 says this. The rod of reproof gives wisdom. The rod and reproof, I'm sorry. The rod, that's, punish, that's discipline. And reproof, that's biblical counsel. The two together. They bring wisdom. It doesn't just say the rod by itself brings wisdom. It doesn't say just uh, biblical instruction by itself. With a, with a child. You need both. You can't leave out either. And they bring wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears right, but the end leads to death. That's why your child needs to be instructed in the truth. Amen. Proverbs 20, 30 says, blows uh, that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So, by, by holding forth discipline from your children, the Bible teaches that that's a form of hate, okay? In other words, you're not really loving your kid. So he says, oh, so-and-so gave a few swats to their kid on the rear end. They, they must hate their kid. No, the Bible says if you refuse to discipline your kid, I'm not saying it's always to be swats, a few swats. And by the way, when we're talking about discipline your kid, we're not talking about beating your kid, okay? You know, a few swats on the rear end, I think that's still legal in Ventura County, right? where you're not bruising and, and uh, hurting your kid, but you're giving a few swats to a little wake-up call, lets them know there's consequences to rebellion. It's very, very important. Uh, and that's what love does, okay? The Bible says if we don't discipline our children, we hate our children. And I'm not saying discipline always has to come in that way either, but you need to have discipline that is effective, okay? I, I think just you can't have Play-Doh today. It just doesn't cut it, though, personally, you know? Uh, Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 13, and 15, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You will strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol or hell. Wow, that's, that's powerful, man. That's powerful. Because you see, children are bent toward, just like all humans, we come out of the womb, it says, speaking lies. David says in Psalm 51, around verse 4 or 5, that I was conceived in sin. In Genesis chapter 6, before the Lord floods the whole planet, he says our thoughts were evil continually. Okay? We're bent with a fallen nature because humanity's rebelled against God and our children are born with a nature that's rebellious toward what's right. And if you leave them to themselves, you get some really, really bad news. In fact, Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your, child or your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Okay? Don't desire his death. In other words, if you don't discipline him, that's like desiring his death. That's like hating him. It's like not caring for him because you don't care that he's rebellious and doesn't learn consequences. Seems pretty obvious to me. Now, God, but you also need to share with your children uh, that you love them. Hebrews chapter 12. God lets us know that he spanks us or he disciplines us because those I love I rebuke and chasten. Amen. And what father, it says, does not discipline his children? Well, he didn't write that in the 21st century. Those days, it was a known thing. You discipline your children. They didn't have the gangs and the, all these wicked things going on in the world around us today. It's important to discipline your children. But you need to let them know that you love them. I mean, if, if you spank your children out of anger or discipline your child out of anger, and, ah, 
they're going to associate that with anger and not, not with love. But you let your child know you love them. Heather said that one of the things she hated the most about when I'd spank her is after I'd spank her, I'd spend an hour with her often and just talk to her. That's a lot of hours as many times I spanked Heather. I'm like, every time? I don't think it was every time, you know? But I'd instruct her in the scripture. Heather, this is why, you know? And it would hurt me more than her often, you know? Some children laugh at their parents. They mock them because they don't, when they discipline them, it doesn't hurt. It's like, yeah, it doesn't stop me from wanting to do what I'm doing. Got to be very careful. But you want to let them know you love them and you care about them. They can come, they can have a misunderstanding. Like the little boy, you know, four years old, he goes out in the backyard, he finds a switch. So go get a switch so I can spank you. Goes around looking for the switch. He goes, I couldn't find the switch, but I, I found a rock you could throw at me, you know? And uh, that's a misunderstanding, right? Kid thinks he's going to be stoned to death maybe or the parents hate him. That's not what's going on when we spank our children. It's not hate, it's love. And it has to be done in loving. And guess what? If you have parents where there's this austerity and a lack of love and there's discipline and there's a distancing from the kid and the parent just spends time with the kid when he or she is disciplining the child, that's evil, okay? If you're not showing your kid love and, you're, they're just, and you look at them as some barnacle on a ship that you just have to carry with you, you know, or some, you know, that's not the way you... We're supposed to love our children. And if you don't love your children, say, God, give me a deeper love for my children. You should have a natural love. And of course, you know, we talk about, you know, bringing your children up in the word, Lord, and it's like a, you know, a, a, a necklace around your neck and a crown and something you're like, it's a reward. And you're like, not when they're screaming like crazy in the grocery store. It's not, you know. So sometimes you get frustrated with your kids, but be patient. Amen. God has been patient with you. Amen. Love them in your discipline. God loves us when he disciplines us. Amen care for them and spend time with them and explain to them why you're disciplining them. <sighs> Proverbs chapter 19, verse 27 says, cease listening, my son, to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Your child is a free moral agent and they, are, they have libertarian free will to choose between good and evil and you must teach them to walk in righteousness. Now, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not what? He will not depart. He won't depart from the... He's not going to depart. Now, was, is that like ironclad? Well, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But train him up in the way he should go. He will not depart. When you think about that, some look at that as like, I train up my children. And Satan used that as a sledgehammer, by the way. Like some parents whose kids have gone astray, and they're like, are they ever going to come back? Did I fail? Did I not do my job? You know, what's going on here? And how, you know how many parents feel condemned when they read that verse, train up a child in the way she go, and when he's older, he won't depart, and their children have departed from the ways of the Lord. They figured, I must not have trained up my child because it says to train up a child in the way to go. When he's older, he won't depart. I must have blown it. But you have to understand Scripture with Scripture. You have to put all the Scripture together because the Proverbs is a certain genre of literature, of scriptural literature. They aren't all iron-clad promises. A pro, it's, it's a, many of them are general observations of what happens when you do this, this happens. But there, at the same time, there are exceptions, you know. The Bible says the ringing of the nose produces blood. Okay? In fact, Billy Sunday, he was one of the most, he was the most famous preacher in the early 1900s, the first couple decades of the 1900s. He was a major league baseball player for the Chicago uh, White Sox. Well, they were called the White Stockings back then. Okay, he's the fastest guy in 
the, in, in the National League. In fact, he raced somebody else that was, fa- that was considered the fastest, and he beat him by like 10 steps in the 100-yard dash. Incredibly fast. He was an orphanage for some time, became a Christian after eight years of baseball, quit, and started, became a preacher, became an incredibly effective preacher. But there was a heckler in the crowd one time. Ah, oh, the Bible's not true. It's not true. You know what? He, the story is that he went up to the heckler, and he grabbed his nose and twisted it, and blood started coming out. What? And he shows him the verse. The twist of the nose brings forth blood. Tell me the Bible's not true. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't advocate you do that. <laughs> but uh, you, there's certain Proverbs that are general principles uh, that aren't universally applicable in every specific situation. You have to put Scripture with Scripture. They're not unconditional. They're, they're, unconditional, they're not unconditional promises. Uh, some of them are just absolutely unconditional. I mean, they're t- radical truths that are, apply in every instance. But uh, we use that in the secular world today. You know, we use, there's great proverbs that we use that are, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, there's truth to that. And in other words, you eat healthy, you won't have to go to the doctor. But is that the absolute truth in every instance? No, you, some of the healthiest people are sometimes the most sickly people that eat really, really good. Okay? Uh, there's a lot of Proverbs that we could look at in the secular world, but the, the scriptures are filled with Proverbs. I could give you some examples of them later. But it's interesting, uh, when we look at the scripture, train up a child in the way he should go, that word is used to dedicating. Train, that word train, is translated dedicate. It's used in Deuteronomy of dedicating the house. It's used in First Kings of dedicating the temple. So, some Hebrew scholars believe he say, dedicate your children. Dedicate your children. And then when it's saying, train up a child, dedicate him in his way, because it doesn't say the way he should go. Dedicate your child in his way. In what way? In the way of his dedication to the Lord. And when he's older, he won't depart. Understand? And dedicating the temple, dedicating. And you remember the scriptures are very, very clear throughout the scripture we see. Uh, and you see this re- reality. Who was the woman that was, they thought, you know, the prophet thought she was drunk. Eli thought she was drunk. You remember her? And, and she's sobbing and crying at the temple and, or tab- in the tabernacle and she's bawling and what's happening? She's praying. She's crying to God. Hannah, remember her? And she dedicated her child to the Lord. Paul says to Timothy that the faith that's in you was first in your mother and your grandmother. And you, and you brought them up to, the, he had a Greek father that probably didn't teach him the scriptures, probably wasn't a believer. But his father and his grandmother, the faith was first seen in them, in, her, in her grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice. And guess what? They taught you the scriptures which you've known from your youth. They brought him up to the Lord. He was like a John Wesley, Timothy, man. He was one of the leaders in the early church, brought up by his parents, his, gra- his mom and his grandma. So if you're a grandmother, don't think your job's over. I'm sorry. You still want to encourage your grandchildren in the truth. Amen, Lisa? She does not look like grandmother, does she? She's so beautiful. I only say that on Mother's Day, but no. <laughs> Just kidding. I tell her that all the time. Uh, and, you know, there's, they say that when babies, were, when women were pregnant with babies in the biblical times, they would, Yahweh is God, whisper into the womb. Yahweh is God. Dedicate them from the instant before they were born. Let them know the way of righteousness. Amen. So it's important that we get this, that we understand this. Moses' parents, 
Woo, man. His mom, remember, they floated him downstream and they did it in faith, it says. They didn't fear the edict of the king. They could care less. They got killed by Pharaoh, man. And guess what? That was an act of faith. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. But then, guess what? Pharaoh's daughter wanted a nursemaid and said, who better than the mom? Got her. She brought Pharaoh up. We don't know how long, but guess what? Pharaoh, he esteemed suffering with Christ more important than what? The riches of Egypt. And that's a lot of what you learn in the book of Proverbs, to esteem Christ higher than what this world has to offer. But mom had a huge role in shaping him because he had all this temptation before him, but because he was dedicated early in his life to know the way of the Lord, there was wonderful, beautiful success. Now, let's look at verse 6 again, but look at it in context with verse 5. Thorns, verse 5 says, and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. So it's talking about the perverse way, going the wrong way. Okay, as Christians, Jesus, says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father but through me. Jesus says, he is the way. The Bible calls the way of Jesus the way of righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, called the way of righteousness. in Hebrews chapter 6, the first few verses. The Christian church, you know what the church, Christian church was called in the book of Acts? Anybody remember? Yell it out. The Christian church was called, or the Christians, the way of Christ was called what? There we go, budgie now. The way. The way. Okay, Christ is the way, the church was on the way. They were called the way, the way to Jesus. Okay, these people, Jesus says, enter the straight gate, right? Narrow is a gate that leads to life, if you are those who find it. But broad and spacious way, it leads to destruction, and many are going down that way. And this way that leads, verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. The context is guarding yourself from the way of the perverse. Now check out verse 6 again. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Remember I said the Hebrew doesn't have should go? So it's understood by some Hebrew scholars, not the majority, but plenty of them, to say train up a child in his way, and it's a warning, not a promise. Train up a child in his way, meaning the way he's going, Meaning, let him do his own thing? If you read it that way, train up a child in his way, the way he's going, because children are born in sin. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. In other words, leave a child to himself and let him do his own thing. And when he's old, he's not going to get right with God. And that would be a huge warning against permissive parenting. Oh, just let the kid do whatever he wants. You know, oh, my kid loves, you know, dropping acid, you know. He'll grow out of it after his brain matures. He's 11 years old. He's young still. You know, just let him do that. Or my kid loves, you know, uh, you know sleeping around with the girls in the neighborhood. I know the few of them got pregnant. But hey, you know what? He's got to sow his wild oats. Just let him be himself and, you know, do what thou wilt. And so s scholars, and not just a few scholars. I mean, there's a growing number of scholars that believe this is a warning it's not a promise, train up a child in the way he will go. When he's older, he won't depart from it. But train up a child in his own way. Let him do his own thing. And when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. He's going to stick to his evil way. That's interesting. Jay Adams, I have his book from, I bought it, I think, was a young pastor like years ago called Competent to Counsel. Uh, it's a very good book on biblical counseling. I don't, don't agree with all of it because at one point he says, the counselor shall never tell the counselee that Jesus died for him because we don't know who Jesus died for. No, we do know who Jesus died for, John 3, 16, and many other verses, right? But J. Adams has a, 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 this 
understanding that this is a warning, not a promise. In this, this book on page 158, Competent to Counsel, he says, the passage reads, trains up a child in the manner of his way. This is after the standard of manner in which he wants to be trained. The verse stands not as a promise, but as a warning to parents that if they allow a child to train himself after his own wishes, they should not expect him to want to change these patterns when he matures. Children are born sinners, and when they are allowed to follow their own wishes, will naturally develop sinful habit responses. Richard Clifford uh, translates it this way. Let a boy do what he wants, and he'll grow up to be a self-willed adult incapable of change. Okay, there are a couple translations that translate it that way. In fact, the Knox Bible translation reads, there is a proverb, a boy will keep the course he has begun. Even when he grows old, he will not leave it. Uh, so it's interesting. The Lexham Bible says, train the child concerning his way. Even when he's old, he will not stray from it. And this, the, the problem for us when we try to look at this from not just the linguistic way it doesn't settle the problem is theologically, the book of Proverbs actually supports both understandings because the Bible is very much about training your child in the way he should go, amen? So when he's old, he won't depart. It's very much also about not letting your child just do his own thing, amen? Or he'll be stuck in it. So the context uh, it can go both ways, actually. So, and I would love to look at context. So it's very, very important. Uh, the medieval Jewish philosopher, Rahlbag, said, offer, Rob, Rahlbag uh, offered a similar interpretation, train a child according to his evil inclinations, and he will continue his evil way throughout life, okay? Now, uh, when you look at this and you think of these things, and you, we, we consider all these different ways to look at this proverb, this kind of fits in a way, because listen to some of the Proverbs. A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Catch that? Leave him to himself. It's going to disgrace his mother. If you don't use a rod, if you don't get him to change his ways. So it's very, very important. Now, what one should we settle on, you know? Uh, I wish I could tell you, hey, the Hebrew language and the context and everything else supports this way or that way. I'm usually come to a conclusion on these kinds of things. It's very difficult for me, but I'm not troubled. You know why? Because whether it means that in the, it's basically saying the same way in either a positive way or a negative way. It's saying the same thing in either a positive way or a negative way. You get what I'm saying? It's basically saying either train up a child in the way he should go so he won't depart. Well, that's biblically true. Or it's saying if you leave a child to himself, you leave him to his evil ways, and that's what it means. He's not going to change later. You're, you're not giving him great opportunity in life. That's also in accordance with the book of Proverbs. Now, uh, now the NIV says this in NIV chapter 22, verse 5 and 6. In paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would uh, preserve their life stay far from them, start children off on the way. So it goes kind of almost like dedicate, start the child off in the way you should go. And, but it adds the way you should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. The predominant amount of biblical scholars use it as a promise, okay? But the King James began translated that way in the English translations, and many have followed because it's a familiar understanding, not necessarily because it's the strongest. Now, listen to this. A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but wise men listen to advice. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wise in his own eyes. Uh, and on and on, I mean, Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And it constantly talks about those sons who just go on their own path. 
are going the wrong way. That's why it could be understood in that way. Now, understand, and it's important that we get this, guys, okay, that both concepts are taught throughout Proverbs. If you leave a child to himself, you let him do his own thing, you will contribute greatly to the ruin of your own child. If you withhold discipline, if you withhold the word of God, you contribute to the ruin of your own child. If you withhold being an example. So if you're not going to, so that would be the negative. Like take a warning. You, you let him go his own way. So what do you do? If you don't want to do that, you train him up in the way he should go. So when he's older, he's on the right path. Amen. Are you with me? So both, so when I come to this text, to me, I'm like, Lord, I'm not absolutely positive what you mean here, but whether you mean this or that, you state this, and it makes me focus on this reality more than I would if I hadn't been looking at this Bible difficulty. It's made me appreciate the book of Proverbs more, actually, by trying to puzzle this together. Now, I personally have my own, uh, my own uh, conviction, uh, but it's just that, and it's actually I'm way open to the warning side as much as I am the other side. But... Uh, it, this is what you do have to understand. So Satan doesn't beat you as a mother. You go to Mother's Day message, you're like, my kid went astray. I go to Mother's Day message and I'm, I can't believe I blew it. And hey, Satan just tries to bring guilt upon you because you didn't train up your child the way you should go. Or you did, but you're like, he went astray. I must not have done it though because it says he, when he's old, if I train him up in the way they should go, when he's old, he won't depart. So I must have failed as a dad or I must have failed as a mother in some way. Not necessarily. Because again, these Proverbs are general observations regarding truth, but they must be put together and understood with other scripture. They're not unconditional promises. And it's important that we understand this. Like the apple a day, or uh, saying, that's not an absolute truthism in every instance. It applies and it's truthful in the right time at the right place. How about that saying, the early bird what? Does the early bird always catch the worm? Have you ever observed every early bird that's out that it always gets a worm? No, but it's a general truth. And as it's applied to your life, you get up early, you go at it, you know. But hey, you know what? Jesus gave a parable where guys got hired for waiting for work, and the other guys got hired later, and they got the same amount, right? So that kind of destroys that as absolute truthism. And, uh, but guess what? That doesn't mean there are certain Proverbs that are just absolute they apply in every instance. For instance, Proverbs 20, 23, the Lord abhors differing weights. He hates different weights and dishonest scales are wicked. That's always true. People cheat other people with dishonest weights and scales. That's wicked before the Lord. Now, mothers, we love you guys and you guys need to be respected and we need to give you praise. Leviticus 19, 32 says, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. I'm not saying all the mothers are older here, you know. My point is, is that even when you're aged, I've shared with you before, my son or my daughters would say, Dad, you're getting old. And I was in my 40s. I must be ancient now, you know. I was in my early 40s, Joe, just shaking his head. Well, stand up then. I'd quote this verse, you know. Stand up when the aged come in then. You stand up then. Mess with them back, you know. Uh, but you know what? You need to, we need to uh, respect and show honor to our mothers. Well, what if my mother, she just wasn't a really good mom? Well, you know what? Solomon's mom, who writes this, her name was Bathsheba. She had blown it in life. But 1 Kings 2.19 says, Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king arose. He rises up. 
King Solomon, he's the king on the throne, to meet her. And he bowed before her. He bows before Bathsheba, his mother. She taught him the word of God. She got right with God just like David did. And sat on his throne. She sat on his throne. Then he had a throne set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. That's pretty radical, isn't it? I love that. And I love this. A letter to Ann Ann Landers. I'm tired of all those ignorant people who come to me my, to my husband and ask him if his wife is a full-time, has a full-time job or if she's just a housewife. Here's my job description. I'm a wife, mother, friend, confidant, personal advisor, lover, referee, peacemaker, house, housekeeper, laundress, chauffeur, interior decorator, gardener, painter, wallpaper, wallpaper dog groomer, veterinarian, uh, manicurist, barber, seamstress, Appointment manager, financial planner, bookkeeper, money manager, personal secretary, teacher, disciplinarian, entertainer, psychoanalysis, nurse, uh, uh, public disciplinarian, uh, uh, relations expert, dietitian, nutritionist, baker, chef, fashion coordinator, and letter writer for both sides of the family. I'm also a travel agent, speech therapist, plumber, and automobile maintenance and repair expert. I love that. And she goes on to say more, and she talks about uh, for the studies done, this was some years ago, it would cost more than $75,000 a year to replace me. Actually, they would probably cost a couple hundred thousand. I took time out of my busy day to write this letter in because there are still ignorant people who believe a housewife is nothing more than a babysitter who sits on their behind all day and looks at soap operas. I love that, okay? Mothers. And that's just the half of it, Amen. I mean, there's so many things that could have been listed that weren't listed in that deal. We praise the Lord for you. But don't forget one of your most important jobs is to be the lover of your husband and to follow his leadership in Christ and to be the mother who teaches your children the word of God. Amen. Teaches them. I mean, now we got Solomon. Now he fell. Okay. So you're going to need to use great wisdom in bringing up your children, right? He, he came back to the Lord, though. When he's older, he didn't depart. Is it guaranteed that if you bring your children up in the Lord, they won't depart? Or if you leave them in his own ways, they won't depart from the bad way? Not absolute, it's not an absolutism. There's people that didn't have Christian parents that were let, had permissive lives came to the Lord later. Amen? There were children that were brought up in the way of the Lord and went astray. But your best opportunity to make sure your child knows Jesus and you see him in heaven is to bring them up in the way of the Lord. Amen? And be the mother that God's called you to be. Praise the Lord. Can we pass out the cup and the bread?